Okay, yeah, I said junior high and high school. I apologize in advance. My brain is operating at about 35% right now. I can feel that. You got the brain fog going. Uh, my wife is not here today as she is knocked down. Our whole family just got hammered this week with whatever that bug is going around that we, we had such a fantastic weekend last uh, Saturday and Sunday together. We kicked off the year with a bang. We had the, the largest gathering we've ever had as a church family for a, a discipleship uh, seminar on Saturday. And I think we, somebody brought something. Because <laughs> what we've been hearing this week is just everybody is just knocked out suffering, our, our household included. I hate that feeling of no brain, you know? Because honestly, it just makes me not like anyone. <laughs> so, I'm sorry today if... if uh, <laughs> No, God's going to help me. No, it's, it's weird, though. It's like we're supposed to be in this, like, visionary time, and I'm just like, I don't care about anything. <laughs> Brain, will you please work again? It's, it's coming back. Um, but uh, anyway, so I apologize in advance if I'm a little less coherent than normal. And my wife sends her love. But a few things uh, coming up. This week and in the next couple weeks, as we are in a season, if you're new with us, we're starting the year really seeking God for his vision for the year. It's a humble confession, in a sense, to say, God, I, I, I don't want this year if you're not in charge. It's kind of like when Moses bargained with God and said, hey, I'm not going into the promised land. I'm not taking these people if you don't go with me. I think that's kind of the idea of how to live life. <laughs> God, if you're not with me, if you're not leading this charge, if it's not your vision, like I, I, I've had enough of me. I've seen how that plays out. I need you. I want you. Your vision. You, you are the bread of life. You are the living water. So we're starting this year together as a church family, taking three weeks to really seek God for his vision in some different areas of life. Wanting to spend time in his word, washing ourselves in his word, along with some pointed questions that really end with vision statements or goals, you could say biblical goals based on God's heart, a biblical worldview for kinds of goals and you could say even promises to seek after this year. And then you partner up those things with our end of the deal, so to speak, our practices. What are we putting into practice to seek God in these areas? And so this is our kind of vision and practices worksheet. If you don't have one, you can pick one up on the way out or you can go grab one right now. But the idea is we've just completed week one, start week two tomorrow. And there's a couple different worksheets here. There's uh, the scriptures that go with a kind of a daily reading. And then where really the rubber hits the road is those scriptures are also matched to some questions that you seek the Lord based on those scriptures that show his heart in certain areas. Seek the Lord for his vision 
his goals, his promises, and then what you are going to do in response. So vision practices, goals, action steps. Such a beautiful way to live life. It doesn't have to be at the New Year's. <laughs> the Christian life is about new beginnings. The Christian life, Jesus said, is, Mark 1.15, the gospel is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent and believe. So vision and practices, vision and action, God's goal for your life and your action steps, that's the gospel. <laughs> that's forever. That's every day. But we start as a community together to really get the vision for the year. So we're in the middle of it right now. We're moving into week two. A couple of, excuse me, opportunities coming up to seek the Lord in some additional ways this week. One, I do want to announce that for the gentlemen in the room, we've got the Men of the Word Tuesday morning gatherings at 7.30 at Don Mede's Restaurant uh, right on Newport Road. There are little flyers out there. Every single Tuesday, essentially, for the year, we gather. It's a great time to, to be together as men. <clears throat> men spend a little bit of time in God's Word, seeking His voice, hearing from Him, talking together. And it's a great time during our, our fasting and feasting to do that in an additional way. So those flyers are out there. This Friday night at 6.30 p.m., we have a night of worship. And we're going to be bold and say it's a night of worship and revelation. Because as we seek God, we will have some times of, of, in a way, similar to this morning where there's a little break where we can just listen. There's that quiet. And, and we believe by faith that as we gather together in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit is here in a different way than when we're alone. And he wants to, he, he loves when we seek him. He delights in bold faith. He loves to respond to the faith of his people. And so we're seeking him for revelation in this season. We're seeking him for his vision. And so we'll have some worship through music, and we're going to be seeking his face. And so it's a good time to believe that some of these areas, maybe there's a hard one where you're like, I don't really know what God's saying in this area. And we'll have some space, cultivate some space to be listening. And so bring those vision and practices worksheets and, and trust that God's going to give you some additional revelation uh, during that time. So that's this Friday, 6.30. For the ladies in the house, the last Saturday of the month, which is the 27th, we have a women's luncheon, 12 p.m., and there will be a, a time around this content to be seeking God, praying for one another, in addition to the normal uh, fellowship luncheon. So that's Saturday the 27th, 12 p.m. And then we break fast. You guys ever heard that word before, breakfast? Break fast together on Sunday the 28th, right after the service. That's when we'll be celebrating. We'll be celebrating together. I think it's often called a mountain of meat, and we have some fun together. But we celebrate that, hey, you know, as we've sought God, he has spoken. He has given clarity. He has given some promises, some goals, some vision, and we are consecrating our lives. We're setting it apart as holy to the Lord, saying this is what we're going after this year as individuals, as families, as a church family. So that's the last Sunday of this month. All right. So, moving into the, the second area of focus, now on our, our second week. This is biblical vision for quite simply what we call those in relationships. Last week was about 
the up relationship, cultivating that intimate relationship upward with our heavenly father. We are made to know God. That is the purpose for our creation, redemption, and existence. Is that we're made to know God. John 17, 3, Jesus says, eternal life is knowing God. And Jesus Christ, the one whom he sent. And there is a myriad of scriptures all throughout the Old and New Testament that affirm that knowing God is the purpose of our existence. It's the most important relationship. It's the most important thing in life. And so last week, our focus was on that cultivating of that intentional intimacy with God, seeking God for some goals and vision and promises about our personal intimacy with God. So if you didn't finish all those, then you can still spend some time whenever you want. I would encourage, this is where the fasting comes in. I didn't get this done personally because I'm a pastor. I cut out social media and TV. And you know what? Wow, that feels productive. There's a lot more time on my hands. And so that's the idea. We don't cut out stuff to be like, oh, wow, I get a gold sticker for asceticism. No, it's about setting aside some things that aren't even necessarily bad. They just take our time, effort, and energy and can distract us so we have more time to seek God. So I encourage you in the next couple weeks, that's, that's what we're going after. So moving into that, that second piece, those relationships, those in relationships, what do we mean by in? It's very simple. It is the cultivating of holy, healthy relationships with people in your life. There's a scripture that stood out this week as Don and I were spending time reflecting on this together, planning the message together. Obviously, unfortunately, she wasn't here to join me in delivering it, but Man, God's word is so full of amazing promises. In regards to community, we're about to look at a scripture that says nothing short of God's will for the relationships in your life is that they help you become more like Jesus. And that you help them become more like Jesus. That's a pretty high bar. That's a great promise. That's God's vision for the purpose of relationships or one of the purposes that he put us on the planet with one another. Let's go to Ephesians 4 verses 12 to 16. It talks about different gifts and ministry roles that have been given in the body of Christ and the purpose for them. So we'll pick it up with the purpose, which says to equip his people for works of ministry or service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, that language is unbelievable. It's 
Kind of hard to understand because Paul has a big brain and he writes in run-on sentences. So <laughs> a double whammy. But the idea is God gave gifts to the body of Christ. Just let's grab a couple phrases. To build one another up and become mature into the full measure of Christ. Mature. What kind of maturity? The fullness of the maturity of Christ. Wow. I mean, who doesn't want more of those kind of relationships in your life? I mean, think about the people that you spend time, effort, and energy with. Cultivating, investing in relationship. God says that his goal for those relationships is that those relationships would help you grow to have more of the full maturity of Christ in you. Amen. I am giving that assignment to my wife today. <laughs> Your job, babe, right here to make me more like Jesus. She's like, oh yeah, I'll, I will. I will. I'll tell you what you need. Right? What a beautiful, holy design for relationships. That we would grow, build, be built up. I like that. We become more like Jesus because others build us up. They don't beat us into Christ-likeness. They build us up into Christ-likeness. Those are the kind of people you want in your life. That's God's design for the relationships within the body of Christ. And I really can't think of a higher purpose, a higher vision for being in relationships. And, I, and I'm constantly asking myself that because I'm, I'm a kind of visionary thinker, a purpose-filled thinker. Ask questions like, what's the purpose for this? Why am I doing this? And I love to take the biblical worldview and compare it with other religions and other worldviews and atheistic worldviews. And I love to say, yeah, which one's better? There's nothing anywhere like this. Just in the same way that last week we were looking at the purpose, the worldview, the vision that says your existence, the purpose of your existence is to know God. And the way that's described in the Bible, in all the different metaphors and pictures and images, there is nowhere, nothing, anywhere that offers the same kind of hope-filled, beautiful picture of the reason for your existence than the Word of God. Nothing compares. I mean, they're paltry in comparison to the beautiful vision that God's Word has. The purpose for your existence, to know Him. I would argue the exact same thing when it comes to community. <clears throat> the exact same thing when it comes to relationships. There is no higher purpose possible than the relationships that we have with one another being a conduit of God's love, mercy, grace, truth, 
goodness so that we are built up and transformed to be more like Jesus. <laughs> Find me a higher purpose. You won't. <laughs> No religion, no anti-religion, no government document, no anti-government document has a higher purpose than that right there. You will become like Jesus when you're operating properly. Which it actually says in that verse, the last verse in Ephesians here, 4.16, says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and, there's that awesome word again, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We need each other, whether we like it or not. Another translation says, when each part is working properly. When you're not working properly, you're not the only one losing. The people around you are suffering. When each part is doing its job, when each part is giving their best, when each part is working properly, then we will build each other up into the fullness of Christ. That's called holy responsibility. It's not just about you. It's not just about what you want to do with your life. You have holy responsibility to work properly to fulfill God's goal of building others up to be like Christ. Healthy responsibility is another thing that gives us purpose. So part of our deep purpose to know God and right under that is and to help others know God, to build others up to know God, to build, build others up, to be like God. I love the Christian life, so full of purpose. You, <laughs> we're never lacking in purpose. Oh, what, what, what should I do today? I don't really have any direction for my life. How about know God, become like him, and pass it on to others? <laughs> That's pretty high. If you're bored, you got some work to do. I love it. Make it personal. Make it personal. Are you fulfilling the purpose for your existence of knowing God more intimately, transforming to become more like him so that you can build others up to be more like him? We got work to do. We're not bored around here. I hate bored Christianity because that means you believe a lie from the pit of hell that either you're uh, already completely like Jesus, uh, already know him completely, and you've made everyone around you perfectly like Jesus. Let's get all of that on the table. No, you haven't. No, you're not. And that's okay because that's called purpose. We're never done. That means we get to wake up in the morning with an excitement that says, man, there's so much more in this life to live into, knowing God so much more deeply than I do. And then as I get transformed, passing that on to build others up around me to become like Jesus. 
Like, what a holy privilege at the end of your life if you get to look back and in humility, but a recognition of sober reality, say, I made them more like Christ. That's a straight-up goal of mine. Wife and kids, primarily. Seriously, because that's my first ministry. We'll get into that. That's not arrogance. That's called God-given purpose. Now, there will also be the reality that comes with it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Knowing, like, I didn't do any of it on my own strength. I just chose to say yes to you over and over in my weakness. And what does Paul say? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the brokenness and holy confidence that is supposed to exist in a follower of Jesus. It's not a false humility. Oh, I'm a piece of trash. I'll never do anything. That's a lie. I'm weak on my own. That's true. And then when you cast yourself in dependence on God, what does Paul say? Then I am strong. It doesn't honor God to not want to be strong in him. So I have a deathbed goal. That's my whole family around me in one way or another saying, thank you for showing me Jesus. Thank you for making me more like Jesus. That's a holy goal. And I'm not going to be like, well, good, I did it all on my own strength. I'm like, yeah. Praise God. Then in the midst of my brokenness, (laughs) you saw grace flowing through the cracks. And in my weakness, God made me strong. So there is enormous benefits that God designed us for in community. The question is, because as I'm talking about this, probably there's not many of you who are like, I don't want that. I don't want relationships that make me more like Jesus. I prefer losers who bring me down. Those are the kind of friends I want. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal God's offering here. The challenge comes when the rubber hits the road, are we willing to sacrifice, to count the cost of what it takes to get to the benefits of building each other up to be more like Jesus. Because there is a cost. There's always a cost. Jesus said it like this, the easy road leads to destruction. The hard road leads to life. That should be the kingdom worldview impulse. If it doesn't cost us something, it's not the kingdom. That's why Jesus said you must die to yourself to experience the resurrection life. If there isn't a death, there isn't a life. If there isn't death, there isn't resurrection. There isn't the hard road that puts to death the flesh. There isn't resurrection power. And so all these beautiful benefits of relationships that God's designed us for, beautiful benefits have a cost. It's a form of dying to self. 
one day at a time. It's right in the passage. Paul actually starts the passage with it in Ephesians 4. It's amazing how the Bible does that. Let's read it. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Ooh, that's interesting. Talk about some holy responsibility. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here's some death to self. So be completely humble and gentle. And I fail at that. You could ask my wife and kids. Amen. When I'm weak, then he's strong. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. A unity that has been forged in the fire of authenticity is what Paul's going after. Make every effort. So you good Protestants in the room that don't like the word effort, sorry, it's in the Bible. Effort. Make, this is not you earning your salvation. This is you choosing to put to death yourself so the resurrection life of Christ flows through you. And there's lots of that in the New Testament. Make every effort to create and keep that bond of peace between you and those you're in relationship with, brothers and sisters in Christ. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, unity. That's, there's power in that bond of peace. There's power in unity. How much power? Supernatural power, he goes on to describe for the rest of the chapter. Jesus-like power. Supernatural power where you will make each other, we will make each other more like Jesus. <clears throat> Starts with unity. Unity comes through hard work. Make every effort. Paul wouldn't say that if you didn't have to do it. <laughs> if unity was easy, he wouldn't say, oh, guys, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to make Every effort, not like a little effort, a little, little tiny bit of work. Make every effort to maintain the bond of peace so that there is unity, so that there is supernatural power. And you, you could step big right now, and then we'll go small. The body of Christ we'll just take on in the United States of America is suffering from a massive lack of power because of this right here. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort. 
Make every effort to maintain that bond of peace so that there's unity, so that there's supernatural power. Bear with one another. What does that mean? Let, let's translate that into real life. When you see that person's faults, imperfections, and shortcomings, and they annoy you and they bother you, bear with them in love. Make the effort to maintain the bond of peace, the unity in the spirit, so that the supernatural power of Christ can flow through you. Now, that doesn't mean you sweep things under the rug. There's all sorts of stuff. And if you read the verses this week, God encourages us to be people that speak truth. So it doesn't mean that when people have shortcomings and they hurt your feelings, or they're imperfect, which they all are, it doesn't mean you don't address it. God actually makes us into very honest, courageous, truthful people. That's where the effort's at, really. It's working through stuff. But it's working through stuff reciprocally where we bear with one another. We take it as par for the course that relationships with people are going to be challenging at times. They are going to be hard. I'm going to get offended. I'm going to get my feelings hurt. And that's where the body of Christ, big picture, the enemy is getting lots of victories. Just think about this truth. You know somebody or you are that person. You've left the church because you got offended. Did you go to that person and honestly try to reconcile? Did you try to talk it through? Did you walk through the biblical steps where Jesus says in Matthew 5, when you're worshiping and you know that you got something against your brother or they got it against you, drop your gift. First, go be reconciled. That's called death to self. That Jesus is saying it's more important that your gut instinct when things aren't right relationally is that you first go be reconciled. I don't know how to think of it any otherwise than to say to Jesus that your instinct and effort to go work on relationships and be reconciled is more important than you personally worshiping God. I'd, I've, try, I've tried to interpret that passage otherwise. I wish I could interpret that passage otherwise. When you have a gift of worship to bring to God, Jesus says, and then you're reminded the spirit or your mind, heart, whatever, whoever and however you get reminded or you just actually see him roll into the church service and you're like, them. oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, don't do that to me. That's not worship. Worship is go talk to them. Work it out. Forgive. Bear with them. Yeah, they're annoying. Bear with them. So are you. 
we are imperfect people. All of us. If you're looking for the perfect church, this is not it. And if we keep looking for the place that's got the perfect church, church hop, church hop, church hop, church hop, powerless body of Christ, welcome to America. Now, that's oversimplifying, but that's a thing. This is a hard reality. This is a death, death to self. To be completely humble and patient and bearing with one another. Bearing one another's burdens. Forgiving one another. There are all sorts of passages, we're going to read them this week, that call us to a death to self so that we can live into the fullness of the benefits of the body of Christ. And it, I'm not just talking about church. This has everything to do with your marriage, if you're married, everything to do with your relationship with your kids, with your best friend, with those closest to you. It's relationship. God calls us if we want to forge the intimacy and the unity that brings the supernatural power of God to build each other up, it's going to take death to self. It's going to take these things that Jesus talks about where you're honest. You're honest when you're hurt. Jesus says to be. But you're willing to forgive. You're willing to be patient with them. You're willing to bear with them. You're willing to know that they, they're imperfect. They're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. They're not going to be perfect. And I'm going to bear with them in that. I'm going to forgive them in that. I'm going to speak truth. And unless they're, this is Matthew 18, unless they're defiant in saying, no, I'm not sorry, and I'm going to continue to do that, at which point Jesus says, you have the right to set a boundary and remove them from relationship in your life. Because Jesus does not want you abused. So he empowers you, Matthew 18, you can read it, that as you confront with honesty, the general expectation is they'll repent and you forgive. This is hard work. This is hard work. This is hard work with one person. This is hard work with my wife. Let alone expand that out to your kids. Spend that, expand that out to a few close friends. This is the hard road that leads to life. It's worth it. I don't regret one moment, one conversation, one whatever degree of effort Remember, this is back to make every effort. Make every effort to create and or maintain the bond of peace between one another to the degree that that's been hard in my life. I don't, do not regret one moment of it being hard because of the fruit it produces. Real intimacy, real trust, real love, real hope that fruit of the Spirit that is the resurrection life when we choose to die to ourself. All of us are at different places along this journey. 
Lots of interesting, challenging scriptures to dig into this week. And what it is meant to come back to is, what is God saying to you? Some of this might be way brand new. There's, there is some complexity in all this. How do you go about this in a healthy way? It's not making accusations. It's not making assumptions. There's a courageous truth spoken, but it's a willingness to hear and be compassionate about other people's perspectives. Lots of forgiveness, lots of grace, lots of bearing with one another while speaking truth and having healthy boundaries. Jesus is like, again, the wisdom of God's word. I like listening to podcasts and I listen to some that are from you know, psychologists and those kind of things and they're making new discoveries about the brain and all this stuff and about how healthy relationships can happen. And it's so funny to me where it's like this huge revelation of you know, some 10 year long study on you know, married couple such and such. And it's like, they think it's this major revelation. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like one Bible verse. <laughs> like, speak the truth to one another and forgive each other. Like, wow, that took $7 million in a study? Like, I'll get you a Bible for free. But it's just okay. It's fine with me. It's fine if, you know, the greatest intellectuals in the world are going to go after studies that just prove that the Bible is the truest truth, the one we need. I'm good with that. That's fine. And I kind of like it. But man, God has the truth for relationships. And so we've kind of curated a bunch of those important verses for this week. They will be challenging. So here's the thing. Don't overwhelm yourself. Read them and then say, God, what are you saying? Because it's not like, you know, wherever you're at, it's not like God's expectation is, well, you're either like Jesus tomorrow or you're a failure. No. There is enough in the verses you're about to read this week about relationships with one another. There's enough work to do there for the rest of our lives. And that's where, and we'll always be working on it. We're never going to be fully like Jesus. But this is about vision. So see it as not, oh, how far you are from where you're supposed to be. It's much more about, look at the vision that God says is possible when you follow him. Look at the kind of relationships you can have when you follow him. And it's a process to get there. We're not earning our salvation. We have the confidence to go after this because of the perfection of Jesus, we're saved. We're perfect in his eyes. And so now we want to live into more of the fullness of being transformed to be like him so that the fruit of our life has more of heaven in it. And that does take the continual dying to self. But that's one day at a time. That's listening to the Holy Spirit one step at a time. So please don't go into this week and read these verses and be like, oh my gosh, I'm just a failure at this. We all are. We're not Jesus. It's about knowing the vision and what God says is possible and then taking the appropriate next step with him so we can see more of his kingdom fruit in our life. Let me just quickly add a couple of verses at the end that I came across this week in my own study. So if you're down to like number six uh, on our kingdom vision and practices, and we'll close with this here.
A couple to add that I just found really helpful as I'm seeking kingdom breakthrough in relationships with those who are really closest to me. So if you're married, your spouse, if you have kids, the fresh vision that God has given you in regards to being a parent. Let me speak to that real quick. And if you're not married and don't have kids, there's plenty of other opportunities there to insert a close friend, a sibling, a brother or sister in Christ, that God is calling you to take these steps of every effort to grow that deeper bond so that we experience his greater fruit. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. For parents, I took it for, you know, as, as a dad. Paul's talking to people who are aspiring to be leaders in the church. This verse is just one of those fantastic ones that says, if you're married and have kids, your first ministry is to them, period. I love and need this permission. God does not want me to sacrifice my marriage and my kids on the altar of serving others in ministry. They are the first ministry. I like to translate it and say, God calls me to give my wife and kids my best. And I believe that's the universal call in here. Let's read it. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. This is to those seeking to want to lead, to serve, saying his heart should be set on guiding his household with wisdom and dignity, bringing up his children to worship with devotion and purity. For if he's unable to properly lead his own household well, how could he properly lead God's household? It's a picture of you are a priest in your own home, parents. You are cultivating the microcosm of society, the microcosm of church, to gather under the lordship of Jesus, to live out following Jesus in the closest, most intimate, challenging possible setting where they actually, your, your family, your spouse and kids, they know the real you like no one else does. You can't hold up a facade forever. Your family knows you. And so I love the, the beauty here because we're at this church about the authenticity God is disgusted by hypocrisy. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. Don't be like the hypocrites. He says it in multiple different contexts about prayer, about fasting, about giving. Don't be like the hypocrites. Be authentic. Be real. And then he really warns us at the end and says, otherwise you might end up like those people at the end of time and say, yeah, you did all this stuff in my name, but I never knew you. Oh, that's the most terrifying thing. To carry the name of Jesus in the world and then someday face Jesus and be like, I don't know you. Let's get real now. I don't want to get real then. <laughs> and so all of that is saying it starts in the home. That's the point of this verse. It's not meant to be a condemnation. It's meant to be God's 
picture starts in the home. Ministry starts in the, in the home. Do you have good fruit in your life? That starts in the home. Are you an authentic follower of Jesus? That starts in the home. Are you an attractive follower of Jesus? That starts in the home. Oh, I want to disciple others. I want to make disciples. Does your wife want to imitate what you do? Does your husband want to imitate that walk with Jesus? Do your kids, are they attracted to that walk with Jesus? Now, this is not calling for perfect families. There are none. But it's that principle of your first ministry, and there is freedom in this. Saying, don't try to go serve outward and do a bunch of stuff if you haven't done it first in your home, if the home doesn't have the best of you following Jesus. And then when there's some additional, you know, maybe margin of time, effort, and energy, sure, pass it on to others. But give your best to your spouse and kids. I take that as some of the best news ever. So parents and those married in here, to me, there's a question of God for this year. What's your vision of where I give my spouse and kids my best? What does that look like? How can I put that into practice? There's freedom in that. Save your best for your kids and your spouse. Give your best. That'll change the world. Not overnight, but in the long run. Psalm 112, if you need it, one of my life verses. Blessed is the one who reveres the Lord. His offspring will be mighty in the land. All right, and the last one here, specifically for moms, Isaiah 66, 12 to 14. Just came across it again. It actually somehow just through my reading ended up in my own number two. Promises from God for this year for me. Oh man, this is a whole Mother's Day message, so let me try to put it in two minutes and we're done. The dignity of motherhood in the Bible is uncomfortably <laughs> astounding. Isaiah 66, 12 to 14. This is God describing the new heavens and new earth. That language gets picked up in Revelation by Jesus and the Holy Spirit leading John. The whole book of Revelation is about the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is bringing. It's eternity. This is the consummation of all things. This is the kingdom of God <clears throat> consummated in perfection for all eternity. And that's what Isaiah 66 is prophetically talking about. The new heavens and the new earth. To, to make it simple, heaven. <laughs> what is heaven going to be like. God says this of himself about heaven. Uncomfortably, astoundingly awesome. Moms, here we go. For thus says the Lord, behold, <clears throat> I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you, this is God talking to his redeemed people. This is what heaven is going to be like. So you is 
you, <laughs> hopefully, you want to be included in this. <laughs> this is the people of God in heaven. You shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, this is God talking, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. I'm uncomfortable because of my upbringing. God is putting himself in heaven as the picture of a mother and says, you, the redeemed people of God, shall nurse, shall be carried upon her hip, shall be bounced upon her knee. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will flourish. So moms, if anyone in any way tries to denigrate, put down, the utter holiness of motherhood, open up the Bible with them. And if you haven't felt it, moms, awesome. But our culture is not honoring motherhood. I mean, I have heard it said to me back in the day. Now, my wife works at the church now, and that's great. I am not, so yes, women working, that's great. But I remember back in the day when at the time my, mom, my, my, my wife was a stay-at-home mom. My mom did the same thing, and she worked sometimes too. People would say, oh, what's your wife do? Oh, she's a stay-at-home mom. What, what else? If you ever get anything, moms or dads, and then you defend your moms, what else? Um, <laughs> well, I think... Being a human incarnation of God in heaven for all eternity is enough. It's a pretty noble purpose to do for a few years of your life. Moms, you got to feel that. Even more so, look at the two words used to describe the ministry of what makes the children flourish. God says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. What is the name given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Oh, okay, you said it, I didn't. The comforter. The very same ministry of God as mother to her children in all of heaven, ministering comforter, is the name of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to put that right there. I'll let you play with it because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I need the comforter. <laughs> all of this is to say... Wow. God's vision of motherhood. So translate that, moms, into 
what is your vision for me this year in embodying, incarnating the heart of God that ministers to his people for all of eternity? How can I reveal the heart of God to my kids this year? That is holy purpose. Moms, grandmoms, great-grandmoms. And these are the kind of things, man, that, that get me fired up. That God wants to speak into our life. Not simply way high lofty vision, but then he will make it personal. That's what this is. This is personal. This is just me and God. This is me saying, no, I believe God is saying to me, taking all these visions and, and goals and dreams that God has in the word for us, what's my personal next step? What are you doing in my life wanting to do this year? And how can I say yes to you? How can I partner with you? How can I put it into practice to see more of your kingdom transform my life, bear that amazing fruit that we all long for. So I encourage you, put in some of that time and effort this week reading these scriptures and then seeking the Lord in that quiet place. Come Friday night, ready to be in a quiet place of listening, receiving hearing God speak. It's a beautiful thing. He loves to do it. John 10, 3, Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I call them out by name. He wants to speak so personally about your life. Yeah, man, it's like, man, it's like he knows my name. He knows what's going on up in here and stuff. Yes, he knows your name. He wants to lead you out, it says, and speak to you personally. That's a good shepherd. So it really comes down to, as he pursues us, are we saying yes this year? Let's give him our best yes. Amen.